Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Laughing Place podcast. We are recording on September 20th, 2018. We're trying something a little new this time. Normally, we record these shows and we edit them, which you may not realize, but we edit them, and you know, they they take a little while to get up. But we're going to try and just do like a quick hit, quick hit podcast, because a lot of stuff happened today as we're recording this, and hopefully this will get up fairly quickly, so either yesterday um, or soon after that. Um so uh, Kyle's actually in Orlando uh, today, uh, staying at Disney Saratoga Springs Resort and Spa. Yes, for my first ever time staying on, well, actually at either domestic property. Really? Wow. Yeah, I, I've done, I've stayed one night in Paris, one night in Shanghai, and one night in Hong Kong, so, but never at Walt Disney World Disneyland, so. Well, keep the shampoo, you might not be able to keep that. Like <laughs> That's true, they do still have the mini bottles in here, so. Uh, Alex and I are here, but we're he- we're heading out tomorrow, less than well, in about 24 hours. So um, we just, but uh, I guess a a lot happened. So I woke up, um, and this wasn't really a surprise, but I woke up at like let's say 4:30 in the morning. Just I rolled over, checked my phone, because uh, I kind of had a feeling this was going to happen, and they unveiled the. Auction process for Sky. Now, I know this isn't the sexiest topic, but I just want to give we'll, – we'll give a little brief rundown. And I'll explain what it means to Disney people, and then we'll go on to kind of more fun things. But basically, Comcast – according to weird UK takeover rules, because neither Comcast or Fox have made – have finished their purchase – essentially, of Sky, there's going to be uh, auction. And all the parties involved, including Disney, because they sort of have to bless any Fox deal, is um, is the, they're going to, on Saturday, they're going to have three rounds of bidding. First Disney's, I'm sorry, first Fox, a.k.a. Disney, is going to bid. Then Comcast will have a chance to bid. And then if it's not all settled by then, they'll both parties will have sort of a last and final bid. This should all be settled by Saturday night, uh, London time, so Sunday afternoon. I'm sorry, Saturday afternoon, um, Pacific time, and we'll have an answer. So there's lots of talk and speculation. It's hard to tell what's real because obviously both parties could be putting information out into the ether to kind of affect the bidding process, but. You know, there's questions about how much Disney really wants to spend on Sky. What is Sky? Sky is a broadcaster, basically a cable, a satellite provider in the UK, but they also have a direct-to-consumer offering. Um, they have, I want to say it's Italy, Ireland, and the UK, and Germany is, I think, where they operate. It could be wrong. Uh, but there's this sort of a talk that Disney wants to, Disney wants it because they want to have a direct consumer offering in that in Europe and they sort of have, this would give them an entry into that space because there's no Hulu outside the United States and Comcast obviously just wants to be a, you know, TV provider in the, in Europe just and kind of share the technology and, you know, Kumbaya. A wrinkle in this is that if Fox wins, they will sell Sky News to Disney Regardless of whether uh, Disney ends up 
finishing their purchase of Fox. Tangentially, the EU has said that in October, I believe October 22nd, they will make a final rule. Not a, they will de- reveal their decision on uh, Disney's purchase of Fox, which would either be approve, approve with conditions, or a four-month review process. So a lot of stuff's happening in Europe, and I just want people to know because this is this when we think of Disney, I said it. I mean, we all know about the international theme parks, but this is really Disney's biggest play into becoming a huge international presence. Um, Fox is much bigger internationally than Disney is, and so it'll be curious to see how much they're willing to invest in that, how high they're willing to go. Sky shares are trading well above both current bids, expecting that this will go higher. So it'll be curious to see where it ends up. Uh, Comcast's Brian Roberts is sort of notoriously a stickler, or the other words that I won't say on the podcast. And so, you know, how much how much uh, stick it to him is going to happen in this whole process. So just keep an eye on Lapping Place on Saturday. We'll try and break it down once we know what happens. If Disney doesn't get Sky, it'll be interesting because they'll still own the portion of Sky that Fox owns, which is 31%. So will Disney try and barter that for the part of Hulu they don't own? Will they hang on to it as a minority shareholder? Will they sell it? There's lots of questions, but I just want to get that out of the way. Next, uh, Kyle, how did you put Disney's week this in the studio side? What was your turn of phrase? <laughs> I'm not sure it's quite appropriate. <laughs> they, uh, they, just, they kept releasing trailers. So maybe it was like me passing uh, trucks on the highway on the way here. <laughs> for 16 hours. Just trailer after trailer. So should we go in order? Uh, yes. So with the Golden Globes, they released Mary Poppins. Returns. Emmys. I'm sorry? I'm the sorry, Emmys? yes, the Emmys, not the Golden Globes. Uh, broadcast occasionally wins an award at the Golden Globes. I am talking about the Emmys, which Fox won a bunch of awards. Disney won one for Mickey Mouse Short, and ABC won one for the Oscars. Um, <laughs> but they had the moment of the night. They did have the moment of the night, and uh, one day I'm going to propose marriage to uh, someone during this podcast because that's about as close as I'll get to propose to having proposing marriage on a big stage. Uh, however, I digress. Mary Poppins returns, not the first trailer, not our first look, but gives a little bit more insight, a little bit more Mary, a little bit more animation, a little bit more music. Alex, what did you think? I cried. Hmm. Wasn't that bad? No, no, no. It was it was that good. Um, I mean, it, it was it shows it shows some footage that we saw at D twenty three over a year ago now. Um, but like, it shows some of the bits of animation which I think a lot of people were were kind of waiting for. Um, it shows just enough of singing to kind of whet your appetite for the music that's going to be in it. Um, and I think it wraps up kind of the sentiment. Uh, it has you know kind of the quirky. Poppins isms. My favorite one is when um, they said, "Oh, you've come to take care of the banks, children." She said, "Yes," and then they were like, they look at the kids. She's like, "And them too," or something like that. Like she means Jane and Michael. I was, I you know, obviously when you re I don't remake something. I would when you sequelize something this old, you know, you're worried is this going to be Godfather two or Godfather three? And I like how they. It really didn't seem modernized. I was a little worried because it wasn't all filmed indoors. Mm-hmm. But I uh, it was I was happy to see that it 
it felt like it was made with care. We'll see if that turns into a good movie or not, but I was it it stoked my appetite. Yeah, I mean it um I, I do agree that visually it sets itself apart with all these outdoor shots where the trees are actually blowing <laughs> um and things like that. But stylistically, I mean when they zoom in on that street shot of Cherry Tree Lane, it's like they took the indoor sets and just moved them outdoors. And I'm curious, you know, to learn some of the behind the scenes process, if they actually build that on a soundstage or how much of that is, is digital. Um, I'm sorry, not on a soundstage, but on a back lot or how much of that is digital. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I like, I, I think we've talked about it a lot before on the podcast, but I really love um, the uh, Broadway version of the show. Um, which took it back a little bit more towards the books. Um, I'm excited that this kind of is is inspired by more of Pam Travers' stories. And the other thing that I think is really cool that the trailer reveals is we knew Angela Lansbury um, had a, a bit part in it. Um, but I don't know if you noticed in one of the sequences, they're under the sea. And um, Beautiful Briny Sea from Bedknobs and Broomsticks was a... Um, cut song from Mary Poppins that the Sherman brothers ended up repurposing uh, a couple of years later when they made Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And it would be really interesting if this is like tying it in to that universe somehow. Yeah, I was, I, I guess I lost my train of thought, but I was thinking Angela Lansbury and Dick Van Dyke, I think just add a level of class. Not that, you know, the stars, Lin-Manuel Miranda has no class, but it gave it a little bit more, um, authenticity mm-hmm. and that it's not just these young whippersnappers coming on. I mean, it's not even just that they have a Disney connection, but it just made it feel like, I don't know that they were respecting the legacy of the film. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, you know, there will be a surprise um, appearance by Julie Andrews somewhere in the film? No, no. I, I mean, I mean, just from what she said, I mean, if, unless she's going full Feige on us. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really kind of stated that, you know, she wants her to have her own, you know, she wants her to be her own Mary Poppins. She doesn't want to be a distraction. Okay. Cause, cause I feel like Dick Van Dyke has a good entry in that. Obviously he could play, you know, um, Mr. Dollar well, Jr. And also, but and also it, his character, I mean, his, the, his main character, Bert isn't recast. Right. Lin-Manuel Miranda is not Bert. Right. I, I feel like Dick Van Dyke is less of a distraction than if, you know, they ghostbusted it up and, like, randomly just she's there and has, like, one liner and it's over. If they ghostbusted it, wouldn't it be, like, Michael Poppins? <laughs> Good point. Um, one thing you brought up, though, is Mary Poppins is having a revival on the West End. It is. And I'm kind of surprised um, that they aren't doing something like that here. But I was also surprised that they didn't revive um beauty and the beast when the uh the film came out this is the first revival like i mean i know obviously the shows come and go but this is the first like legit revival on the premiere stage of that you know country right it is we haven't had a broadway revival yet but i don't think we've had a west end revival either no it's it's definitely the first i mean the closest i think you could come is is all the times they tried to retool a show so like tarzan and then redoing it in europe and little mermaid and redoing it in europe and uh, don't get me started on that one but um you know it, it is interesting i'm curious to see what kind of um production design style changes they make to it um will it go with uh 
uh, what was the original song? <laughs> or playing the oh, game. Oh, yeah. Temper, uh, temper. Temper, temper. Does it have temper, temper or playing the game? Or are there any new songs or, you know, what kind of changes they're making to that, too? Kyle, what did you think? I didn't exactly cry, but I <laughs> felt emotions. Um, no, I think I agree with everything you guys were saying. But to, to your point about what people are complaining about, uh, I think what I've heard the most is that there isn't a Sherman Brothers uh, that they didn't ask or they don't. They're under the impression that he wasn't even asked or anything like that. And so he's talked um, about this. In fact, actually, I'm going to I'm going to plug another podcast. Um, Malton on Movies, which is Leonard Malton and his daughter, Jesse. Um, they're obviously Leonard Malton's a big uh, Disney fan, and they quite often have Disney luminaries on their podcast. They just recently did a really great show with Floyd Norman. They did one with Richard Sherman about a year ago, and so they actually talked to him about this. And so he mentions in that, um, first of all, he's very favorable of the, the writing team who did the songs for the Broadway version and, and the West End version originally before that. Um, but he was, um, he, he met with these writers, you know, and he, he talked to them and it sounds like he, um, was given a listen to everything and sort of allowed to bless each song, um, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, for any fans, I mean, double check, but I'm pretty sure in the Malton on Movies podcast, he specifically talks about this film and that he is excited and, and, um, delighted with the, the work that the songwriters did and the way that they've tried to incorporate some Shermanisms and, uh, pay homage to his writing style. I also think it's different. I mean, he has made some songs for some movies ranging from Iron Man 2 to, uh, you know, the Christopher Robin movie. And even did some work on the Jungle Book, uh, I guess remake or whatever you want to call it. But, but yeah. But and I think you know I think those are things you can kind of bang out as as depicted in Saving Mr. Banks when you're actually making a movie where the songs are a musical where it's integrated and it's important and you're throwing songs out and you're keeping them in. Yeah, I don't know that he wants to be on set, you know, in the writers' room for months and doing that level of effort, um, especially with the timing of this. Well, he also doesn't have his his writing partner, really. I mean, I don't I can't think of a time that he's written a song without his brother. He's done some I mean, he's done some solo, but I mean, not collaborated with another writer. I haven't seen anything um, that he's done singularly with another person's writing credit on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. And. I mean, you know, and I don't want to say I don't we don't want to say that, you know, he's too old to do it because that's not the, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. But he's also a man that loves life. He has, you know, he he does shows and he he has other priorities now than going full force on a, you know, whatever this was, two hundred dollar, two hundred million dollar movie. Well, and I mean, with writing music for a movie, you know, it's it's not just that you write the songs three years before it comes out and step away and are not involved at all. You know, oftentimes there's there's changes to uh, to story or um, just, you know, they discover during shooting that something's not working and then they need to, you know, redo it. It's not uncommon for movie musicals to have, um, you know, songs that are scrapped well after the the starring cast record and even perform them. Um, just because they, they discover that things aren't working right and they need to find a different avenue. guess we'll move on. 
into the next trailer that was released, Captain Marvel. Wow, what a difference. Captain Marvel. Uh, what do you think? I think I think it looks amazing, but I, I, I always feel that way about every Marvel film. Um, I, I haven't paid any attention to any, um, I guess, online response to it. Partially, I just don't want to because I feel like there's going to be some people who will find some way to try and tear it down. The only thing I've seen is, um, and I don't even know if she's smiling on the poster, but some people have gone back and updated other Marvel posters to make all the characters smile. Um but I mean, I thought the trailer looked amazing. I think it's really interesting that it's not just starting with her origin story, that we're going to pick up bits and pieces in the context of this story. I love that it takes place during the 90s. Uh, I had actually, about two weeks before, been feeling very nostalgic for Blockbuster. And so uh, that shot where it like zooms in on a Blockbuster and, a, and a, an action scene takes place inside one um, really kind of spoke to me and uh, my childhood. And um, I, I mean, I, I just think it's I think it's awesome. I uh, I worry that people will try and compare it too much to Wonder Woman or say it's it's trying to fall in the shadows, you know, because this character has been around for quite a while. Um, and I mean, I will say it's taken Marvel too long to, to make this movie or make any movie with a, a female lead. But I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I mean, it's sad that we're going to have all these stories about, you know, Wonder Woman versus Captain Marvel or, you know, Marvel decided to make this movie based on the success of Captain, you know, Wonder Woman, which is obviously not true. Right. But, um, I think it's just, it's just so blatantly sexist. And I'm not, I mean, I'm no, not someone who just sees that everywhere I go, but it's just cause you have a woman superhero does not mean she's Wonder Woman to say that there's no diversity amongst women superheroes is ridiculous. Right. And, and I'm, I love, well, I find it funny that the Wonder Woman sequel takes place in the eighties. It's like, good thing they didn't try and do the nineties. Cause then it would get, then it would get weird. But, um, I, I, I think that's going to add a fun dynamic to it. I also am excited to see sort of, I don't want to say origin story, but Nick Fury and Coulson's early days, mm-hmm. because, that's a relationship. I mean, when you provide, if you can get insight as to why Nick Fury showed up at Tony Stark's apartment and did the whole Avengers initiative gag at the end of Iron Man, that brings this whole Marvel cinematic universe sort of full circle, which I think is just a brilliant move. Cause there's nothing inherent about the Captain Marvel character that said this movie needs to be in the nineties. Mm-hmm. In fact, Captain Marvel, while Carol Danvers as a character is, um, you know, been around for a while. Her taking on the moniker of Captain Marvel is fairly new. So, you know, it was just a great way to kind of – it kind of distanced itself from Infinity War. It didn't have to feel like it needed to address the events of Infinity War. <clears throat> but it also gives it a, a special place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. which I, I have a feeling we're going to see this movie, and we're just going to look at that whole S.H.I.E.L.D. thing in a whole different light. Kyle? <laughs> it's weird because I'm trying to think like how the past few Marvel movies have been like Infinity War and then yeah Black Panther but then also uh, like Civil War where it was leading up to something it felt much grander so I'm trying to compare w- w- this trailer to some of the other standalones we had before that like 
Doctor Strange or something where it intrigued me, but it wasn't like, oh my god, I need to see that right now, whereas that's what I got when I saw some of those other, you know, what, you know, some of the bigger, um, ones. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, it's, and I know, it's, it's I understand it's weird. supposed to be on a different level. Yeah. Um, so I don't fault it for that, but it, it, yeah, I mean, I, I saw it, I watched it a few times, I enjoyed it, but I didn't get that same, like, rush from, <laughs> from it. Well, and it's interesting to me because I know we've all seen, um, I, I know Ant-Man and the Wasp came out after Infinity War, but we already kind of had a familiarity with those characters. And it was fairly close. Like, I feel like, especially since, you know, I would say like July, August, like, all Marvel fans want to know is what's happening with Infinity War. And we're going to really, after basically six months of not having a Marvel movie, we're going to get Captain Marvel, which is inherently, I mean, there might be a connection that we don't know about, but obviously is not extremely tied to the events of Infinity War. I don't is, think I didn't see the pager in the trailer. <laughs> right. Which which is funny, because like, that scene apparently was added at the last minute to Infinity War. So it's it'll be interesting to see how, and then what role does she play in whatever we're going to end up calling Infinity War 2. Which I'm still not quite sure why we don't know the name. I mean, well, there's all sorts of rumors. But there's all sorts of rumors that in, that Captain Marvel, not necessarily the events of Captain Marvel, but some of the um, elements, I should say, will have way could have much larger consequences in Infinity War. There's all sorts of interesting fan theories. Um, it's just when weird you're talking about scrolls. If you, wait, yeah, which is, I mean, I mean, this I'm bringing the scrolls in. This is going to be a whole other experience. But it, you know, even if they wait for Captain Marvel to be released, that means the movie's going to have like six weeks <laughs> to really come up with a name. Um, <laughs> so, well, no, I'm not saying I wasn't talking in relation to the name. I'm just saying in terms of um, there could be some big twists when you consider. What's being introduced? Yeah, especially as we're looking to what is Phase Four or whatever it's called. What is the next iteration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? The scrolls could really open up a whole dimension, for lack of a better word. Uh, I did like the people that didn't immediately know that that's why that's why she's punching an old woman and yeah. like outraged about it. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Uh, before we move on to another film, I do want to just briefly address other some Marvel television news. Uh, Daredevil's release date is announced, which is normally would be like a top Marvel television story, but it's actually like not even the top twenty five percent this week. <laughs> uh, they are reportedly, according to I believe the Hollywood Reporter. Um, I think it was deadline. right. A variety, one, one of some, one the of those one. trades, right? Yeah, um, working on basically mini series. They're called television series with like six episodes, and they're supposed to be one like one offs, featuring established characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Notably, these would be created by Marvel Studios and not Marvel Television, which really has a strained relationship ever since Marvel St- Studios sort of left 
the umbrella of Marvel, which is a whole topic for a whole other podcast that we could talk like three hours about. But featuring – and two examples they gave was Scarlet Witch and Loki using the original cast members. So Tom Hiddleston and uh, the Olsen oh, twin that's not a twin. What's that? Elizabeth. Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, so – I mean, that's like, I mean, I mean, supposedly these movies, these TV series are going to have like mega budgets. Uh, well, it seems which, like everything on the streaming service has a mega budget. Well, now that apparently ESPN Plus can get a million subscribers with like blink of an eye. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would venture to guess that like if, if ESPN Plus has that rate of adoption, that the Disney streaming service, like on day of launch, will probably have more subscribers signing up that day than any other streaming service launch in history, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I would think so. I mean, I don't, Netflix kind of came into it, right? So I mean, Netflix it's, grew. It's, Netflix yeah. kind of created the environment and, and built itself over time. But, you know, I look at – so CBS All Access, which has been around for four and a half years, has two and a half million subscribers – now, but already has Star Trek, that Star Trek series, which I'm sure is a huge part of, you know, why people subscribe. So can you imagine if they got just the amount of breadth of the Disney programming plus their original stuff? I mean, today's numbers should have really popped Disney stock. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, the other thing is, is, you know, I don't know if, if, if I'm jumping too far ahead on this podcast, but Bob Iger made a lot of statements today, um, yeah. and one of which uh, I think the quote was that it will be – the Disney streaming service will be high on quality with qual- with um, good like uh, uh, good volume or something like that. Yeah, so, he referred to Netflix as being high volume with some good quality. And, there's a, and that's a trend that's coming around media circles is they kind of look at Netflix as – as someone described it as Walmart, Bob wouldn't because he likes Walmart because they sell a lot of Disney toys. But they, if you go on Netflix, there's a lot of garbage on Netflix. And obviously, Disney has some stinkers in their own library, which will be on the Disney streaming service. But I'm guessing your the mean, the uh, average level of quality of a Disney show or Disney offering on the streaming service will be higher than the Netflix average. Because there's a random story. Yeah. (laughs) You're talking about stinkers. Um, I went down a little rabbit hole showing uh, my wife some Disney Legends uh, ceremonies from the D23 Expo. And so we watched the one with Robin Williams. And as as it was, because he was alive then and he's not now, obviously, is Bob talking about, and he'll be seen on the screen again. I'm like, oh, no, here it comes. He's like, an old dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of the worst Disney films of the modern era. That and Prom. <laughs> wow, Prom, yeah. <laughs> I, prom has, like, disappeared. It's, it's, you never see it on Freeform or Disney Channel. Like, like it's going to be the fizz bucket of... Fuzz bucket. Fuzz bucket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See? There's my point. But that was at least an obscure TV movie. It didn't go to theaters. Mm-hmm. It had, like, one airing ever. <laughs> and then I got on a TCM, Treasures from the Disney Vault. <laughs> well... I uh, just want to also give a sort of shout out that ABC is currently working with um, Mark Guggenheim on a female-led 
series, which would go to the network. Um, apparently, they're very excited about it. Kind of fits the ABC demo of uh, female-driven drama. Um, so, we'll see. McCoy left by Shonda. Yeah, I guess. So we'll see where that goes. So there's a lot of news on, from the Marvel television front. I just wanted to touch base on real quick. Um, but next we have the third and final was uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, which I keep wanting to call Record Ralph 2. Well, and, and that's the subtitle. It's not anymore. Oh, it's yeah. not. They dropped yeah. it. Ooh, I think I used a, I think I used the full original title in my article today, not knowing. Well, there you go. Did you hear the Did you hear the new song that they announced for the film? Uh, Imagine Dragons. Let me Let me see if I can Let me see if I can play it for you. <laughs> they do actually play the Imagine Dragons song in the trailer too. But I love the re-recording of this. I don't know if you noticed that. The, uh, the arrangements, they're using the original vocals, but the arrangements are much more cinematic. Mm. So it starts <laughs> out very epic. Rick Astley needed to grow in, in scale. Well, I mean, it's just, it's a really funny in-joke in the trailer, in that they're Rick-rolling you in this trailer for a movie about the internet. What's sad is most of the people watching this movie will not remember Rick-rolling. Um, what do we think of the trailer? I, I liked it. I was uh, so I well, I actually want to hear you guys talk first. What did you think of the trailer? So I, I I liked it. I liked it gave us a little bit more of an idea of what's happening as opposed to this. They get on the Internet and there's all these fun gags because it's the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited about it. I, 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 I guess my biggest concern with this movie is not when it's released, but what will this look like in 20 years when I'm going through my Disney classics. Uh, I, I have an answer to that, but, um, and so, I, so I, I guess that, I mean, it's just, it's so modern and not, I don't mean that in a bad way. Cause like, if you look at Wreck-It Ruff, a lot of it was homages to classic video games and maybe this will be viewed as homage to classic internet. But, uh, I, I'm, you know, now that we're getting, you know, we're learning more about, uh, I forget the name of the new, the sort of, adult racing game that's in it and the dark web it's adding a little bit more dimension to it which uh i think is fun mm-hmm. kyle yeah i pretty much agree with that that was the first thing um i was thinking uh was if if i would have headlined it i could have been like hey we found out that wreck ralph actually has a plot because <laughs> until then we didn't really have that um but at the same time i just thought it was i thought it was just okay like I don't know. It's still kind of weird to me, and I'm not complaining. It's just just kind of funny that, like, wow, of all the movies in the Disney canon to get to have sequels, there's only two, and Wreck-It Ralph is the second uh, in terms of, you know, uh, actual. I would like to point out that there are three. This is you're the second time today I've read two. And, or, or heard two. Um, I read it else on another uh, Disney site. I can think two off the top of my head. And so. I can think three. So, okay. so tell me what are, what your two are. Rescuers Down Under. Yes. Winnie the Pooh. Okay, and you forgot Fantasia 2000. Uh, was he, uh, that's I, I, yeah. that's that's a tough one, but yeah, okay. It, it's 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 literally called Fantasia 2000. 
It's the sequel. Yeah, I guess I'm just I you know to me it was always because of the history of Fantasia where it was gonna replace you know it was just gonna change over time like I, that to me but that's it what didn't I always happen. I know, but to me then, I know I'm, they had plans for a third, it. but they didn't do it. So <laughs> it's like there's two Fantasia films. <laughs> there's Fantasia, and then there's Fantasia Two Thousand, um, and it was called that for a reason. <laughs> Um, but I, uh, so I have some insider knowledge. I got to go to Disney feature animation, uh, or Walt Disney animation studios. Now, um, I'm old school on August 1st and, um, spent about six hours there, um, getting to see some footage, getting to, um, sit down with some of the, uh, creative talent behind the film. And so I learned quite a bit up front. I was actually very surprised that this trailer featured so much footage of, an online uh, game that they enter. Um, but the what was what was kind of interesting and insightful is that Disney animation is pretty much given free reign to do what they want by by Disney as a company. And so when they proposed and said, you know, we want to do a sequel to Ralph to Wreck It Ralph, which if you look at the box office numbers compared to what Disney animation is making today, really didn't do all that well. I think it capped out in the U.S. around $250 million, which is, you know, fine. But now that Disney Animated Features are bringing in, you know, two times that, um, and globally it didn't pass $500 million, um, you know, it looks, it looks weak comparatively to some of the more recent content. Um, but what they, what they decided shortly after they wrapped the previous film was that where they left Ralph was really a bad message, which is, he has this line um, that's something like, well, if that kid likes me, then I can't be that bad. And he's pretty much defining his whole self-worth on what someone else thinks of him. And so one of the main thrusts of the film is, um, I mean, plot-wise, the Vanellope's game breaks down. All the Sugar Rush characters in Flitwax Arcade are displaced. And the game is out of print, so there's not a way to reorder the part that's broken, which is the steering wheel. And they find that there is one in a place called eBay. So when Litwack connects his router to the internet, um, you know, they decide they're going to go to eBay, try and get this wheel and bring it back so that they can uh, get, get Vanellope back to her game. Um, but while they're in the internet, they discover that you actually need real world money to do that. And so they end up finding a um, service called BuzzTube, which is like Buzz TV, Buzz, BuzzFeed meets YouTube. Uh, and Ralph, basically sacrifices his pride to go viral to create ad revenue from videos so that they can buy this wheel and give Vanellope back to her game. And so there's this whole um, kind of element of online trolling and negative comments. And um, so kind of one of the social messages is how to rise above it, not how to, how to stop it, but how to not internalize it and let it affect you. Um, and so, and then there's, of course, all these little cute things and sort of like Coco, because I spent a lot of time with the people who um, built the, the, the sets and, and created this, this online world. Um, the internet has built on top of itself over time. So when you're on the bottom most layers and the bottom layer is really like a firewall. And then below that, it goes down into the dark net, which is part of the film. Um, 
But on the bottommost layer are the oldest sites. So you're going to find like Netscape and MySpace and all these things. So one of the main search engine characters who I fell in love with is called Knows More. And he's basically like Ask Jeeves. Like he really can't tell you much unless you form it in the, in the form of phrase it in the form of a question. Um, and that's Alan Tudyk who was King Candy in the first one. And the first record Ralph, I think, is what started his um, kind of vast career in Disney animation voice work. Um, but it's just it's just kind of a fun concept where things build on top of itself. Um, and I, I they've got so many clever things in the film. There's so many fun gags. But overall, I think it's, it's a heartwarming story. They did talk about fanboys' concern about the film's future longevity becoming too dated. And so what they really focused on was not things that are, you know, hip and now and very trendy uh, about the Internet, but things that are sort of hallmarks of it that will have have sort of been for a long time and will likely continue to be so that it doesn't date itself too much. And so they'll they'll poke fun at some kinds of genres. We can assume that the internet will always have a um, warm and fuzzy place for babies and cats. So expect that. Um, and then we can assume that the internet will always um, bring communities of people together, um, which is they have all these uh, users with little avatars um, running all over the place and kind of celebrating their geekdom or their fandom or, or um, their style through their, their avatars, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I guess my real point is is that we're all seeing all three of these movies, and so you know, trailers are not made for us because uh, we're gonna go anyway. Um, which I, I presume Fox is gonna learn fairly quickly, and you know, so it's interesting to see how trailers that really touch me or I think are great, or conversely, I think are silly and uh, are you know don't promote the film well have no correlation with box office success. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but they're fun to get us excited for the movies. Uh, and uh, Ralph particularly is going to have a void experience at Disney parks and beyond. So we'll sort of like the secrets of the empire experience. Uh, you'll have an interactive VR option at uh, Disney I, Springs at downtown Disney. I think that's so cool because again, the, the world that they've created is just so fun. There's so many, cool little like sight gags and jokes. Um, and I really don't want to spoil them for you because it's just funnier if you happen upon them. Um, but I'm, I mean, I think that's going to be a really fun experience. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, let's go around. Who's uh, let's not talk about movie, but what's your, which of the trailers was your favorite? Alex. Um, Mary Poppins returns. Kyle. Poppins. I'm going to have to say Captain Marvel. I just felt like, I mean, it might just because it was the first one, but to me, I thought that felt the most creative. But by all means, I'm excited for all three movies. Well, and so. there's there's that um, there's that one part where they do some wordplay, um, where what is it? it? It's something like her becomes hero, but I can't remember exactly what the words are. But that was just so chilling and, and cool. So moving from the world of movies to the world of Walt Disney World. Ooh, the world of Disney. I feel like that could I feel like that could have been a better segue. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the world of Disney World. So Walt Disney World sort of randomly uh, announced some new things they're doing in 2019, specifically towards the early spring and summer of 2019. Uh, there's no talking here about Galaxy's Edge or 
uh, anything beyond that. But um, so well, let's just go park by park. So Magic Kingdom is really going to be the home of Mickey and Minnie's um, celebration. So the Move It, Shake It, Dance and Play It street party. Can you believe it's still around? Well, don't get too attached to it because it's going to become the Move It, Shake It, Mouse Could Dance It street party. Yeah, but I see the artwork; it's the same. What's interesting though is it talks about how it's going to be. It's going to have you know singers, which is a new element that. We'll have modern remixes of favorite Mickey Mouse Club melodies. Which are, like, I, well, are they going to sing a remix of Talent Roundup Day? Yeah, <laughs> that was my question. Was I, I mean, We all know the Mickey Mouse Club March. Get it. We all know the alma mater. Great. Mm-hmm. What else are they singing? Where the uh, mouse cares. We hope they sing alone and sing their cares for all of you to sing. Yes. Then also from January 18th to September 30th, I'm no the fool. Da- they can do a remix of I'm no fool with choreography that we can yeah, all that, learn. That that seems like it's a bad idea for like a parade because if something happens, like I mean those people are dancing, someone could get hurt, and then you look silly. Uh, well, that's why sets poor life expectation. Uh, like the number, the the uh, amount of years that you will attain reasonably in a life. Then, so the Dapper Dan's, the Casey Corner piano player, and others uh, will honor Mickey and Minnie with special musical moments throughout the day. Uh, this is not singing boy band. And then there's also going to be lim- other limited time magical experiences popping up all around the Magic Kingdom. Was that uh, movie Shake It Celebrate? It started for limited time magic, or that was what will you celebrate? Yeah. Oh oh. Is that the last oh, oh. of that celebration? Uh, well, they still give out buttons. Those didn't start there, though, did they? They just expanded the, the buttons. Yeah, I mean, it used to just be birthday buttons, and now it's other yeah. things. Well, um, they, had, they had birthday, they had um, anniversary. I don't. I, 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 I started think... during the Year of a Million Dreams, which was the celebration before. Oh, you know what? That might have been when they started the buttons. Okay, because I remember we had birthday, we had anniversary, we had like four. We had first visit, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was just married. Um, then also, that's, that's, uh, Magic Kingdom. Get excited. Um, over at Hollywood Studios, so the former Pixar Pier, which I believe now is nothing, um, no, sorry, Pixar Pier, Pixar, Pixar Place. It uh, will become a block of Metroville where you can meet Edna Mode and participate in a dance party with Mr. Incredible, Mrs. Incredible, and Elast- uh, uh, Frozone. Fabulous, darling. So, and then it says that there'll be hints as to where Jack-Jack is throughout this block. I don't know what that will mean, but... I think it's going to mean that he's going to, like, pop up in random places, like he can, you know, because he can transform through walls, he can go gooey, he can glow. Like, I think there's going to be, like, little Jack-Jack moments that appear. Maybe it would be really cool if it was interactive, like the Harry Potter wand thing, but interactive, like, with the Disney World app or or the Disney Play. Maybe it'll be where the uh, Luxo lamp used to be. <laughs> they've got they've got the AA hookups over there. I would I would bet money that's at least one of the places Jack Jack would be. And then Mike and Sully will be 
appearing inside one man's dream. I'm sorry, not one man's dream. Walt Disney presents. I don't know if he's going to take over where Star Lord and Groot are. Well, um, either that, that or we're going to see less things in there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to move that kind of thing over to Epcot. So, um, that might make sense. Mm. But we don't know for sure. Like an Epcot Blue Sky seller? Well, just, I mean, if they, I, I presume that eventually if they're doing meet and greets, they'll do it by their attraction. And oh, the Guardians. Yeah. Sorry. So. I, thought meant, I thought you meant the Walt Disney Presents. Oh, no. Uh, that, a Guardians project, or that we have unclear uh, things aren't clear on. Yeah, right. Um, and then we already know Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy is opening up at Sunset Showcase in uh, in Sunset Boulevard. Over at Animal Kingdom, which I feel like they have sort of something to prove, <laughs> they're celebrating the 25th anniversary of The Lion King. Um which will feature a Hakuna Matata time dance party, which is going to have Rafiki and Timon, as well as world musicians doing dance party stuff. Because when Disney has nothing to do, they just start a dance party. Um, well, and I know Rafiki just likes to get down. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Uh, they also are advertising the Lion King three-dimensional photo opportunities for a limited time from January 18th through September 30th. Book your trip now. Uh, but they also tease that more Celebration of the Lion King will be revealed at a later date. It seems like it would be a good opportunity to do something with Festival of the Lion King, considering, you know. Well, when does the new film, does the live, the quote-unquote live-action film come out in 2019? I believe it does. So maybe there's, well, is Alton John doing new songs? Has that been revealed? I don't know that we know. Okay. Do you think they'll serve some sort of special squash banana uh, item? I would hope. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I just hope there's a lot of gummy worms. I hope that they, this is a perfect opportunity to redo the, the little poop brownies. <laughs> and finally at Epcot, they've announced the Festival of the Arts, as I like to call it, Farts, is yes. uh, returning January 18th through February 25th. Uh, this time, the Disney on Broadway concert series is expanding to um, um, uh, seven, seven days, days a week. A week. Yeah. So, which I believe is up. So I think it started with three and then went to like five. So now it's well, every no, I day. think. Oh, you mean the concert series itself? Because the, yeah. the festival, the whole festival was only on weekends its first year. I want to go to the festival. Um. And then there are also Flower and Garden Festival, like, which had its Garden Rocks series kind of cut to weekends only, uh, I think during the 2008 sort of recession, uh, is now going back to seven days a week as well. Um, so the Hanson, seven days a week? Farts is January 18th through February 25th. And uh, as soon as they take down all the art and put up all the plants, you get the Flower and Garden Festival from March 6th through June 3rd. Don't they kind of cheat it and start putting up some of the plants and call them, like, living artscapes? They should. They should. So that's what's coming at Walt Disney World in 2018 so far. Now, obviously, we know 20, yeah, uh, 2019, Illuminations, they announced, is ending. Is this yay or nay on Illuminations ending? Reflections of Earth ending. Yay. Alex? I'm I'm sad about it. 
I, I, I love Illuminations Reflections ever. If you're not going to get me to say anything controversial about that, but it's time. And I mean, obviously, as long as this new show is as good or better, great. Um, you know, just always do new things. I feel like I'm in the minority because everyone I know who lives in Orlando um, thinks Happily Ever After is a better show than Wishes. Um, I I agree with them. You agree with them. I, for whatever reason, disagree with that. I think it's got too much going on, and it just uh, never takes a moment to kind of give you the heart, uh, tug at your heartstrings that we wishes did. Um, and so I'm worried because what I love so much about Illuminations Reflections of Earth is the, the message of unity and, and um, the world getting smaller and growing closer together over time and all of that. And it's inspiring. And I worry that um, what we're going to get is something that's too heavily focused on um I guess some of the new changes to the park and that worries me. Like I don't want, I don't want to see guardians of the galaxy in my illuminations nighttime spectacular around world showcase. If that makes sense. Doobie wouldn't let me do it, but I really wanted to tweet out uh, after they announced the news, which franchise are you most excited to see in the new illumination, new nighttime show at Epcot? I mean, it seems (laughs) like, it seems like why wouldn't they, right? I don't think they, I mean, I don't think, I think they understand that while franchises can have a role at Epcot, that the broader story of the park is not franchise based. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy will be in their attraction, but I don't expect it to be, you know, Pixar Pier or anything close to that. So I think they, in similar way, Rivers of Light sort of respected the park has a broader story than any franchise. That's I true. think they will do. I think they will do the same thing with. Epcot, and I think I I just yeah I think I I mean yes Epcot's going to have a lot more quote Disney than it does today, but I know that they that you know they're not insensitive to the fact that Epcot needs to keep its Epcot DNA. We might disagree of how much that should be, but you know it's not going to be it's not going to be Hollywood Studios where that's where that stuff should be. Mm-hmm. Or even Disneyland or Magic Kingdom, where franchises can kind of live because, you know, it's a fantasy world. And speaking of Guardians, I know, I know that Universe of Energy is is pulling everything out, like, but mentally I was not prepared to see photos of it. And <laughs> Jeremiah <laughs> recently got some pictures because I guess the wall is just not very high, and the whole we, kind of front we got of the, the monorail missing. Or any of the monorail, um, but the whole like front of the building has been taken off essentially, and you can even see straight through in the photos that he he showed. It's like the the pre-show room, the wall is down um, all the way to the back, and you can see there's a door open in the back, and like just nothing is in there anymore. It's literally just just metal frames um, to support the building, and I it just it broke me a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. I just want to know where all the dinosaurs went. <laughs> and if they're pins now, I'm upset. Oh. I don't I feel like they would keep I mean they never throw anything away, right? No, but those are huge. Maybe maybe, maybe they're Van Eaton. Maybe they're Van Eaton Gallery. Maybe. I don't know. I just like I I secretly wish they're building like a tunnel underneath the Tron coaster and Magic Kingdom will have its own diorama on the railroad when it all comes back. It's not a bad idea. I mean, we we know that the the walkway is closed at Space Mountain. 
Yeah. Maybe they're doing something. That'd be great. That's my, that's my crazy rumor of the day. Eat the dinos. Save the dinos. So obviously all of this. So I should also mention that Epcot did tease that there's going to be a summertime offering, but they have yet to reveal details. Uh, I think they found some success with that Guardians of the Galaxy uh, mixtape live thing. That so. was fun. We got to see it like the day before it ended. And I really enjoyed that, despite, like, it was a brutally hot day, and I felt like I was going to pass out. But it was really great. So are we excited for 2019 at uh, Walt Disney World? Alex? I'm always excited for any year at Disney World. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I'm – how do I put this? None of this is, like, game-changing. None of this will uh, – I guess, change the way that I enjoy the parks. Um, it's always interesting to see something new, but a lot of the things that they're announcing are the kind of temporary new things that you see once and you kind of laugh at <laughs> and um, and joke about for years to come. So, I mean, obviously they buried the lead here in that, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is the thing, and yeah. I'm sure that's taking up all the oxygen and any stretch, but... Uh, it is. Um, well, but oh, I'm glad, I'm glad they're doing something. Aren't the gondolas going to open in 2019? I mean, I saw a picture that like the first test gondola has arrived at Hollywood Studios. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing they're probably not ready to say when it's going to open. Okay. Just because there's, it's all, you know, the, as a transportation system, it has a very rigorous sort of testing process. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, I mean, I presume it'll open. I mean, I think there's also some hotel stuff. I, this is really to get you for. This is really the their version of the come in the winter after Christmas press release. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, some of the stuff is continuing, so they're kind of phrasing it in that way. But, you know, everything that they've announced, I mean, the last thing that is on this is the Flower and Garden in March. So, you know, I'm sure they're going to have other things to talk about as they get into summer and obviously fall. So this isn't everything that's happening at Walt Disney World in 2019. I mean, we know that is we know that already. Kai, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, nothing terribly exciting here. Um, but overall, I mean, what's what's not to be excited about? I do kind of think it's funny that a lot there's been a lot of talk about um, entertainment budget cuts, and then if they go and announce a bunch of entertainment. Well, I, <laughs> I know it's like, different, but it's still fun. Well, it's you know, it's that these new offerings are coming from somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, you know, none of this is sort of expanding the park. This is just to have something new to put on the park map cover. Yeah. So it's not uh, exactly cuts, more as like just reshuffling. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if there's live singing in this Mouska Dance um, street party, that costs more than a lot of the other things. Also, I would say the one park that I think is interesting in all of this is, um, to me, Animal Kingdom. Because we know, we know obviously Magic Kingdom's getting the Tron attraction. Epcot's having its big reinvention. Hollywood Studios, no question, right? Animal Kingdom just had Pandora open, and there's nothing big on the surface coming, you know, coming to that park. I mean, not even just saying next year. I mean, we, we, as far as we know, there's no dirt moving anywhere. Um, so. How about a new Yeti? <laughs> well, it's a good point. Um, so, you know, I what's remember, the... um, back in my, my cast member days, 
and, and maybe this was all just, you know, speculation or, or urban legend, um, as, as cast members tend to do. But it was always like, oh, we'll fix the Yeti when we have another e-ticket in Animal Kingdom to drive some of the attendants away from Everest. And so I'm like, you got Pandora and it's been a year. Take it down. Yeah, I mean, I mean it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you're not going to put in this like, hey, we're closing an attraction to fix something. But, uh, yeah, the future of Disney's Animal Kingdom is the one park, basically, in the United States, um, where we are not sure what's happening next. And well, they have a rhino encounter, which <laughs> I want to do. I will say, I'm excited. Okay. For it. We, did the, we did the elephant one, and that was fantastic. And I want to go pet a rhino. So the last thing I want to talk about is uh, Disney. Uh, Hollywood Reporter every year does uh, their like Hollywood 100, right? The hundred most people in power uh, in Hollywood, uh, and. <laughs> The best and, explanation. Yeah, and it's and Bob Iger once again topped the list. Um, there's it ranges from Ronan Farrow to Bob Iger. Uh, there's a, a, tons of other people that work at Disney on this list, from Kevin Mayer to um, Kathleen Kennedy, Kevin Feige, Channing Dungey, Ben Sherwood. Uh, you know, so obviously the Russo brothers, Ryan Coogler. So there's. There's other people on this list from Disney, but obviously Bob is the top, and he should be number one. I did find – if you go click on our article, you can see I kind of called out every Disney person that I could find or that I felt was worthy of being called out as a Disney person. It was interesting to see the rating, how far away Kevin Feige was from Kathy Kennedy. I thought was interesting. But um, as part of this, Bob Iger gave an interview at a really crucial time for Disney because we already talked about Sky and Fox, the – uh, the deal there. Um, we're kind of waiting for them to have their big sort of coming out party for the streaming service where we get a little bit more detail about Hi. what that's going to be. And so, um, but, you know, no one stops. The Hollywood Reporter waits for no one. And so he gave the interview. And you should read the whole interview. I don't want to just completely plagiarize the whole thing. But uh, there were some things I thought was interesting. As, as Alex mentioned, they talked about how you know the the Disney streaming service is going to be for qual is going for quality yet having enough stuff that it provides a good value, whereas Netflix kind of provides value through quantity while having some quality, which I think I mean we all we all have Netflix. Do we agree with that sort of assessment of that's what Netflix is? Yeah, I mean my watch list I I barely ever get it down past a hundred, but like oftentimes it's just full of things I casually want to watch, not things that I'm like dying to watch. Um, whereas like in Hulu, I have less things in my watch list, but almost everything that's in there, if it's a current show, you know, I'm watching it like right away that week. And um, Golden Girls. And Golden Girls. And, and a lo- binging a lot of Golden Girls and Simpsons. But um, with, uh, you know, I mean, it, it is different. Like Netflix, there's just a few things that I really am passionately a fan of. Kimmy Schmidt's one of them. And that's ending. So, it's interesting how it's all changing. And I would imagine we're going to see less um, Marvel content produced there other than what fits in with the Defenders world. And I sort of question how well all of that's doing. I know Netflix never puts out numbers. But at Comic-Con, they put out a um, uh, like Marvel Legends action figure line where they're all on the subway. If you were a big fan of this stuff, this is like a really cool um, uh, collectible. 
and it it didn't sell out at the event, which is rare, and it's still available on Hasbro's online shop, which is also rare. Usually once an event's over and the event exclusive merchandise pops up there, it's gone very fast, and um, they still have it. I, I To me, I mean, I watch the stuff, the Net Marvel stuff sort of out of obligation, and there's some other, there's plenty of stuff I would watch on Netflix if I had time, but there's very little that I feel I need to watch. And I think Netflix gained something by being first, by being the first people that could do this kind of streaming, you know, big budget shows that well, weren't on broadcast. So, yeah. but, but it really like, changed the game to begin with. Yeah. And then now everyone kind of does things the way they do it, but now everyone else is doing it better at the Emmys. It seems like Amazon really um, took a big sweep, but Netflix didn't seem to win much, did they? They tied with HBO for the most, actually. Yeah. Oh, did they? they? Okay. Uh, kind of led by. What was it led by? Godless. I just, God, okay, I just noticed God, that yeah. the one Amazon thing that I watched. Oh, see, I didn't even realize Godless was uh, Netflix, but I didn't even heard of it actually. But um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, which is the only thing I watch on Amazon, uh, seemed to win everything it was nominated for. Yeah, I think if you waited it for. Award prestige, like, you know, if you took the sort of the big awards, I think Amazon sort of trumped Netflix. But in terms of once again, in terms of quantity, uh, Netflix won more awards. But Mm -hmm. the big awards were won by HBO for drama for Game of Thrones and comedy for um, that Amy Sherman Palladino show. So the one thing that so what's interesting about streaming for Disney is obviously Netflix can make no money and they're okay because Wall Street gets it and that's you know <laughs> whatever. But as a legacy company, you know Disney's really trying to say, okay, we're going to be investing in this. We're also giving up money from Netflix that they pay us to have this access. So this is going to hurt earnings, but we're doing it for the long haul. And I'm curious because Wall Street is notoriously short-sighted. If they will, you know, what's, this is going to do the stock price. And I, I think what was interesting to me today was when they announced the subscriber numbers, and obviously I don't know what the expectations were, but to me ESPN Plus outperformed what I thought it would, considering it's really got at this point not a lot of, like, big-ticket items, then the stock should have really bounced a lot more than it did, and I'm really surprised at how tepid the response was. Well, I mean, like I said, if, if if they're announcing that in such a short time ESPN Plus has hit a million when something like CBS has taken four years to hit two, then I mean, if you're if you're if you're looking at something that has even broader appeal like Disney, and they're already talking about what a what a um, good value it will be in terms of the cost to subscribe compared to services like Netflix, um, I think it's it's no brainer as an investor that this is going to be hugely successful out of the gate. And then from there, it'll just grow. So, I I mean, I'm no psychic, but if I had to read the tea leaves, I think at some point in the not too distant future, Disney's going to have every couple of years, they do one of these investor days and they'll bring everyone, all the major investors in, they usually webcast it. So that's nice. And they'll talk about what's happening. They'll tell you what, what the streaming strategy is and, you know, to kind of try and make sure that everyone understands, because how many times have we, when we're watching the earnings call, they release the earnings, stock does one thing, 
Then Bob opens his mouth and does the complete opposite once it's explained. I mean, on both sides of the coin. So it's, um, you know, I, I think they're really trying to message out what their strategy is so that people don't look at it from uh, from a, I don't know, a very myopic lens. The He did also talk about the cancellation of Roseanne and the decision to fire James Gunn. So Roseanne, I guess he was involved in the decision, said it was completely unanimous, and I guess the questions were really about how it was going to be communicated. James Gunn, he wasn't involved in the decision, but he says uh, the executives came, decided it, at the studio decided it, and he supported it, and he hasn't second-guessed their decision. Um, the breaking news here that once the Fox acquisition happens, Marvel Studios will handle X-Men characters. I know this is breaking news to everybody. <laughs> it's funny because he even says in like a way like, I don't think we communicated it. I don't know if we've communicated it, but I think they understand it makes sense um, and that there shouldn't be two Marvels. Uh, they, they asked if Deadpool could become an adventure, and all he says is Kevin's got a lot of ideas. I'm not suggesting that's one of them, but who knows? Um, he, you know, there's talk about sort of we've talked about it, Star Wars oversaturation, and he actually takes the blame on this, saying it was his decision on the timing, and they went, they did too, they did too much too fast, and but they're still working on films, they're thinking about what they're going to do after JJ's movie, and but they are slowing things, uh, about slowing things down. He says the buck stops with him on that. And finally, uh, he's asked, says, some Disneyland peers are upset that there's going to be booze for sale in Star Wars land. And his reply, we have to be careful we don't let people drink and then go on Autopia. My question is, is do you think he pronounced it correctly, Autopia, or did he say, like, half the world, Autotopia? <laughs> Depends on if he was at the cantina. Or <laughs> So anyone got anyone anyone have any comments on uh, what Bob said? Are we are we all shocked that Kevin Feige is going to lead the X Men effort? <laughs> no, I mean I always just assumed. I, I I guess here's what I I don't know for certain is that he will like end that universe because um and another plug for Maltinon movies they have a podcast where they talk to Kevin Feige and X Men was really his start after um after graduating college that was his his start in the um, in the film world, and and he kind of rose through the ranks through that first X Men film, and um, so I think he's got a personal connection to the X Men film universe as it exists right now, and um, might be personally inclined to maybe fold that in. But I would kind of be surprised if we see a reboot of of the X Men franchise. Oh, I couldn't disagree with you more. Really? I I, I mean, I feel like. Part of it is is that that franchise has kind of run its course. Because he also worked on the first Spider-Man movie, and you know he didn't have any yeah, qualms about rebooting that. His work on X-Men led to Spider-Man. That's true. And I, I just it's, it's as I said, if it was one thing, if they just made X-Men, and now they're looking away. I mean, Deadpool might be a different story or whatever, but I feel like the X-Men. First of all, their 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 continuity is all messed up. And then, you know, it it really should be – if it's going to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it should be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it hasn't been. You know, mm-hmm. if we if they suddenly said, oh, yeah, there's been mutants around since World War II, it, none of this would make any sense. So, you know, without having a storytelling device to explain it. And um, 
so I, I hope they, it's, it, the, the franchise is in need of a reboot, a reset. I mean, it's not, it's not like Spider-Man where it's been five years. It's, you know, it's been a while. So I hope they just sort of take it, they take the time to do it right. I also think, you know, we're, we're talking about X-Men, but this is finally our opportunity to get a Fantastic Form, a Fantastic Four film. Not the one the world wants, but the one the world needs. <laughs> well, like with Chris Evans, they can always recast any excellent actors who have been in any of these uh, previous iterations of films and just pretend they never happened. Well, one of the other, uh, John, which one did he play? Maybe it was Johnny Storm. Yeah, so it was, yeah, he was the he was the flame on guy. I don't know my Fantastic Four. They don't matter because they're not part of the MCU as I know it. They, uh, and then Star Wars. I was impressed that Bob took the blame on it. That was, well, I mean, uh, I mean, even if it was his fault, it's not like you know for someone to say that's on me. Uh, you know, it, you don't see that a lot. That's true. I mean, that's 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 a quality of a good leader. Um, which I've always I've always had a lot of respect for Bob Iger, but you know that just makes me think, you know, just as high of him as I always have, if not more. Um, with Solo, because I've seen it twice now, um, it's out it's out digitally. Um, the Blu-ray is coming out very soon, and uh, I saw it once in theaters and then once here. But I mean, what do you guys do? You guys feel like everything that happened with Solo was solely because of fan backlash to Last Jedi, or do you think there was more to it? I mean, it's hard for me to say because I enjoyed the film. Um, I didn't think it was perfect. I think it's a combination of a couple things. One is I, it just needed some oxygen. You know, it it's not a Marvel movie. Star Wars is not Marvel where you can just – where everything is disconnected. This is inherently part of the Star Wars, you know, through line. It's got characters we know. It's 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 different. It's not a cinematic universe really. It's just stories that kind of – spin off of a main story and so you know you didn't have any real chance to build anticipation because basically by the time the last jedi dvd came out this movie was on our doorstep and i i think there's something to be said also is when you know the folks that have to promote it and you know the folks at lucasfilm it, when the, there's only so much energy and effort that they can do in a day as well. And so I don't know that it, I kind of get the fun. If you compared the promotion that this film got compared to rogue one, I felt like the heart, there just wasn't as much energy behind it. And then I also think, you know, with the director change, I, I just feel like maybe keeping that release. I wonder what they could have done if they didn't keep the release date and give that film a little bit more time to gel. Um, it's interesting on the bonus features because they have a uh, the the like most advertised bonus feature is a roundtable with uh, Ron Howard and the cast, and twice during it they mention the shutdown and like the little bit of a break that they had while it was retooled and when Ron Howard was brought on board. But they and then they also talk about George Lucas's set visit on Ron Howard's first day. But other than that, they really don't give you much. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't think they want to highlight it, but it's, you know, I, I mean, we'll never, I mean, I don't say ever, but, you know, we're never going to know what happened there. We're never going to see their version of the movie. I'm inclined to believe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to believe from what I know that Ron Howard did make the movie better. Mm-hmm. But what I don't know is, is if he could have made it even better. Well, didn't and they say like 70% of the final film is his? 
I've heard that. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't have reason to deny it, but I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, but also everyone I know saw the movie. So I'm not, you know, I'm not asking the right people. We need to ask the people who didn't see the movie. Why did yeah. it go? Well, and I think one of the things with it, you know, is that it didn't compel you to see it multiple times. So like there was no, there was no real immediacy. You knew that at least the main characters you already cared about, Han Solo and Chewbacca, whatever was going to happen, they were going to get out of there alive and Lando. Um, you knew the Millennium Falcon was going to because become his. If it didn't happen in this movie, um, you at least knew it happened between. <laughs> and then, um, other than that, the rest was just you know uh, Han Solo. Other than the uh, Kessel Run line, we really didn't know much about his past. So it was really built on that one line um, that they they bore the photo. I will say I really like what they did with it. It, it um, kind of. Uh, I don't know if it ever needed explaining, per se, but it makes you um, sort of understand why he treats Leia and, and women the way he does. I mean, I like the movie, so I, it's... I like I, it a lot. I, but, I, and, and, I, and I think it, people who saw it tend to... I mean, I think everyone agrees that the first act kind of drags a little bit. But, uh, so, you know, I, I don't know that the... I, I don't know that the people who saw it didn't like it. I just don't think it drove people to the theater. Well, I mean, so in my Twitter feed, I occasionally see, um, and I think it's mostly because Ryan Johnson interacts with some of these people, um, but I occasionally see all these naysayers of, of Last Jedi, like, talking about how they're boycotting anything else that Disney's going to do with Star Wars and that it started with Solo. Like, they were, they were so turned off by Last Jedi that they refused to see or, or support Solo. I, I can't be- imagine that that is a significant part of the movie going public. Star yeah. Wars fans, in the intense phrase word, in intense meaning of the word, do not make the bulk of Star Wars ticket sales. And you know, it's just it's just not it's just not the way it is. You know, for a movie to have the numbers of that that it has, it goes way beyond people who gave a second thought to the Last Jedi. And so but I just think like with a with a saga film, you know, it's 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 rare that a Star Wars fan doesn't see it two times. It's probably rare that a really hardcore Star Wars fan doesn't see it four times in theaters. Whereas Solo, I kind of felt like like even I, I, I saw Force Awakens and Last Jedi multiple times in theaters. But Solo, I, I saw it the one time and I liked it well enough. But I was like, that's enough. Anyone, anything else anyone wants to talk about? There's been, I mean, there's been a ton of stuff happening lately. Mickey Mouse Oreos are kind of cool. But, uh, nothing too specific. In any case, thanks so much. I know we're, we tried something new today, just kind of doing a quick, um, reaction to the news of the day. So we might do these more in the future if we like how it turned out. We might not, but who knows? And, uh, hope you you join us either way whenever we do this again. So, uh, thank you so much. And uh, just remember, I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down.